Hello everyone, welcome to the Swan Song Project podcast. My name is Ben Buddy Slack and I'm the founder of the Swan Song Project and the host of this podcast. The Swan Song Project is a charity and we're based in Leeds in England and we help people who are terminally ill or bereaved to write and record an original song. We believe in celebrating lives, making memories and leaving legacies. If you'd like to find out more about our work, you can visit our website, which is swansongproject.co.uk. The podcast features songwriters. Each episode I have a different guest on. I ask them to share with us one of their songs. I ask them to share a songwriting tip. And I also ask them to share a song that's meaningful to them in some way related to bereavement. This episode features Boff Wally from Chumbawamba. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, welcome to the Swan Song Project podcast. Uh, today I'm here with Boff Wally. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for coming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first, uh, what you got, maiden voyage of the in-person podcast in the studio Excellent. here. Excellent. Yeah. So, yeah, thank first you. First of there. many. First of many. We hope. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. <laughs> thank you for coming over. Um, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to starting some songwriting with you. Um, so yeah, boss founder member of Chumbawamba, who are a band that I've kind of uh, just lots of memories of growing up with Chumbawamba. Is that story I always remember? Of? When I was uh, probably about nine, it was probably around the time Tub Thumper came out. Yeah, it was, it was huge. Um, my, a friend of mine's dad, I think, knew one of yours. <laughs> I don't know if you All did right. or not, but it was one of things at school. It was like, a friend yeah. of mine's dad knows yeah. 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 And it was like, this isn't all horrible. <laughs> it was like a claim to fame at the time at school. Yeah. That's yeah. the memory that always comes back to me about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyone new to the podcast, anyway, we do it in three sections. So, first, we're going to talk about the song that Bob's written and how he wrote it. Um, section two, and we'll ask Bob for a songwriting tip. And then section three, we'll talk about a song that's meaningful to Bob in some way relating to bereavement. Um, so which song of yours have you chosen for us to talk about first? The first one, um, it's a bit of a weird choice because it's not really representative of, of kind of anything else that I tend to do. But it's a, it's a song that we did with, with uh, Chumbas, with Chumbawamba, and it's called uh, Your Ugly Houses. And... Um, I wanted to choose it because uh, for people that, that aren't songwriters who watch something like that, not like this, you kind of, you can tend to kind of listen to songwriters and you, you feel like you're jumping in at the deep end and they're kind of explaining quite, um, you know, it's like when Paul McCartney says, oh, you know, I woke up and I had a dream and I woke and mm-hmm. I wrote, I was right, you know, I had the melody for yesterday mm-hmm. in my head. But he's kind of missing out the fact that he'd been a songwriter for like 10 years up to that point. Yeah, and he'd, yeah. and he'd, he'd honed that craft. And he'd, so, he, I, so I just thought, what have I written that's like incredibly simple? So this song has just got three chords that repeat over and over again. It's really loud. Um, um, I obviously wrote it for Chumbawamba, so they all kind of pitched in bits. But it's, it's based on, a, I'd, I'd read this article in uh, Hello Magazine. I can't remember why I was reading Hello Magazine. And, um, and it had an article about Sting and Trudy's new Tudor mansion somewhere. <laughs> and it was like, uh, Trudy and Sting show you around their mansion. I was like looking at this, the pictures of them in each room, like going, you know, here and the tapestries and ornate carvings and busts of you know, and it was the it was the ugliest thing I've ever seen, <laughs> and it kind of made me think, oh yeah, these multimillionaires—they've got no taste. Mm. They, you know, he can write a good song, but he will 
you know, spend like hundreds of thousands on some ridiculous tapestry that doesn't fit with the <laughs> the walnut, you know, bathroom cabinets. And oh, I was awful. And I just <laughs> thought, instead of trying to kind of intellectualize this, this my response to it, what about just going, ugh, <laughs> your ugly houses? And that's it, that's the entire lyric said lots and lots of times, <laughs> you know, and really fast and loud. And it was great to do live because Alice used to just used to have a, a big kind of placard, a wooden stake with a plaque on it. It just said, Ugh, on it. <laughs> and she'd just like run around the stage, you know, jumping up and down with it. So it was great fun. And it just made me think, you know, anyone can write this. Anyone can write a song like that. If you keep something really simple. And some of, the, some of my favourite songs, you know, by other people are just, are just really, really simple. Mm. And, and you just have to capture some, some, um, some honesty and some kind of way of telling the story yeah. that's, that's new or funny or interesting or whatever. And don't get, don't get too you know, hung up on, on the intricacies of, oh, really, oh, should have, should have a, should have a bridge before it comes to the chorus. And yeah. when's it going to go to the kind of minor bit to, it's like, sometimes you just want to say it yeah. how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's a great sound. Uh, if anyone anyone's not familiar with the song, by the way, I'll put the link in the description so you can pause us at any point and go and check it out if you're not really familiar with it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's very short. If <laughs> yeah, it won't take you long. We'll be back, back to you. But yeah, what I was listening to. It, I was thinking that but this was so much fun to play live. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because yeah. there's something visceral about about. Um, I love so many kinds of music. But, um, you know, when you, you can just sometimes hear something that just kind of punches you in the gut. It's mm. just so like, there it yeah. is. That's there. Yeah, that's all. That's all it is. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think too hard about <laughs> it. Think of, yeah. yeah. And it's a, good, it's, one, it's a good example of like, I realise what you say at the start as well, of people can be intimidated by songwriting when it's described in certain ways. Yeah. Or when it is like, it's, you know, it's just a gift. It's just certain people have it. And, yeah. Or like, um, and that, yeah, songs, there's many... Songs can have so many functions, mm. and so they can just be that like, immediate reaction. Just yeah. down. Was it as quick to write? Like, so did it? So you had that phrase of the early ugly yeah. houses, and then did the music just yeah follow yeah. that as well? It was just like um, um, you know, it's like listening to listening to the Ramones for mm. the first time, where just playing you know Blitzkrieg Bop or something. It's just like it just goes exactly where you want it to go, yeah. and you just think. It sounds like it's taken them five minutes to write it. <laughs> Maybe it didn't, but that's the beauty of it. You know, hey, ho, let's yeah. go. Da, 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 da. Da, da. I just think that's that's brilliant. Yeah. At the same time, I, you know, I would love something. I can listen to something that's really complex and interesting and that goes off in all sorts of different directions and stuff like that. Thing. But, um, yeah, I, I love that simplicity stuff. It's great. Yeah. 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 And... Um... Did you, I'm thinking about like getting your inspiration, like was that something you would do regularly with songs where it would be like you just get something and be that immediate reaction like, oh, that's a song there? Or like would you often have come to come to things in, in more different ways, I guess? Normally normally what, what I've always done, and I kind of learned this during my time with Chumbawamba, but I, since then I've been working with like theatre companies and arts companies and opera and community projects and everything and what I've realized is that the when I work best is when when there's um there's an idea and this and you've got to 
fulfill the idea in songs. So what we did is with Chumbers, unlike nearly every band that we knew, instead of kind of, you know, songwriters carry around little notebooks and have mm -hmm. ideas and eventually they've got enough for an album and then they all make an album. What we did is we, we would, after we'd finished an album and we were touring it, at some point we'd say, right, we're having a meeting about what we're going to do next. And we'd have a meeting, because we were always having meetings. And uh, we'd have a meeting, go, so what's the next album going to be about? And what's the concept of it? What are we going to say? Mm. What's it going to sound like? We'd all decide together what the kind of parameters are of what we were doing. Are we going to do these kind of songs? Is it going to be about this? And we'd have a rough idea. And then, the, and it's, it's, it's that old thing where if you, you know, teachers say that if you have a class, classroom full of primary school kids and you give them all a blank sheet of paper and write whatever you want, then yeah. it's really difficult. They come up with, it's rubbish. It's really difficult. Yeah, yeah. But if you give them a title, then they're off. You've, you've sparked something and they're all away and they all write something different, but yeah. sparked by it. So that's what we did. And so since then, you know, it's like if I work with Red Ladder Theatre and we, we're doing a musical about, um, you know, that's based on Bertolt Brecht's lyrics. And I immediately can go and research it and find out what kind of music suits that kind of thing, you know, and mm. really think about what it is before I ever pick a guitar up or hit a piano or anything like that. It's There's always a thing of, what is this and what's yeah. it for? Who's it for? You know, knowing your audience, that's, that's I always think that's important. I think it's, if people want to sit at home with the guitars and play music for themselves, then I think that's fantastic. But I've never thought that because mm. because I didn't play guitar until punk happened. So the only reason to pick up a guitar was to go and plug it in and with with my mates and say something to an audience. Yeah. The idea of sitting on my own and playing I just hadn't occurred to me. Yeah. So, so that's my kind of tradition, was always it, art songs are about communicating an idea. They're about having a dialogue and having a conversation. Mm. And if you can have a conversation that, that isn't going, um, we're up here on a stage and we're better than you and you'll never be able to do what we do. But if you, instead you do a thing where you say, Here's some songs and we've all thrown them together ourselves. We're not particularly great musicians. And to be honest, a lot of you in the audience could come and do this, you know, anytime. And I, again, I love that as well. Mm. Giving away that, giving away the power. You can write songs as well. So that's why I've been doing loads of work with different community groups over the past maybe seven, eight, nine years, where uh, you say to people, you don't say, hey, here you go, you've never written a song before, just write a song, it's yeah, easy. Yeah. You say, here's a way of collecting some ideas onto a sheet of paper, and then here's a way of finding the line in there that might be a nice one to sing, and then here's a way of making that into a story. And people can create their own things. And you often I get to then put that into music and add musicians and, and then the people who've written the initial ideas, even if it's just one line, mm. they feel part of it. Yeah. And they think, oh, I can do that. Yeah. And obviously they realise that I've had 30 odd years of doing that. So I'm allowed to go, well, there is a craft to it and an art yeah. as well. But actually at root, you could come up with the, the ideas yourself. Yeah. So, and I've loved, I've really enjoyed doing that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fascinating work, isn't it? And um, mm. yeah, we like obviously saying about it. So it's, it's it's that kind of, I hate that that idea. Some people have that, you know, like musicians are like a different 
type of person like yeah oh, yeah oh, i'm not a musician i'm not a creative person it's yeah. like again it's yeah you know, everyone is it's and you see you it's the craft there it's like there's a quote again i much people who the podcast regulate so hear me say about this quote it comes up all the time yeah. i think it was leonard cohen was talking about um setting you know, the separation in any creative creative activity of the inspiration and the craftsmanship skill right yeah so, you know that's what everyone has inspiration everyone has ideas yeah. and experiences yeah. But then it's the experienced person who knows the tricks to then yeah. arrange that. Yeah. So that's why with community music is so interesting because it's like yeah. I always think of it then like you know I'm being the craftsman, they're doing the inspiration. Yeah. So I'm just helping to get their their ideas out and then making those suggestions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 if people see that there is a, a way through doing mm. that, then they'll think, okay, yeah, I can I can I can get that. Um. Even just finding a line, in, if someone's written lots of, you get someone to write down lots of ideas and then you go, okay, well, this line is standing out because I can hear it being sung in my head. Mm. If someone writes, um, um, I'm sitting in the garage and there's the radiator, then I think I can't, I'm not singing that. Yeah. That's that's not suggesting something. But if, if someone says, um, um, you know, um, something that's got a nice rhyming word yeah, yeah. to it, and it's got some like, um, you know, the radiator's on uh, and I'm feeling blue. Mm. And I think, okay, well, you could start with that one because you can sing that yeah, and you can t- carry it on. What's, what, what happens next in that story of sitting in this place with the radiator and why are you sad? You've got a nice way in. Yeah. And people get it really quickly. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? So like, I guess with that, it's, so I guess part of that is, you know, your ear being more familiar with how things are sung yeah. than someone who's not so much before might be. Yeah. So then you can say like this just whether it's another way it rolls off the tongue or or you know, often it's how are you gonna write other lines that are gonna fit yeah. if the if the yeah. phrase is really long and clunky or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then also being able to mm. then suggest like, you know, it's not the idea's bad, it's just how could we do it that's gonna work a bit better. Yeah. It's so like you say, like then reframing it about the radiator starting off. Yeah. However it is. Um and yeah. then yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. And you say people do get it. Yeah. And like I think I think there's you know there is quite an intuitive sense of what sounds good and what doesn't. Um, yeah, I think there is, but but I think I think it's learned as well. Yeah. I think you can learn it. Because I think that so a lot of people think that with all any creative thing, whether it's playwriting or writing novels or whatever, that you can, oh, I've got a novel in me, I'll jump in and just start writing mm. one. And you can't really do that. You, you do have to learn the craft of it. Yeah. But once you've learned the craft and you've learned the the technique and all that sort of thing, then you can start breaking the rules. Yeah. So, and I always thought it with, um, remember the first time I heard um, Squeeze singing um, Up the Junction and it's got no chorus. It never, co- it's just a story from start yeah. to finish. It never comes back to the same, same line ever what not even the it only says up the junction right at the very end <laughs> and the first line is um i never thought it would happen with me and that girl from clapham hmm. and i think what there is <laughs> there's no less likely line to start a pop song it's just clunky and yeah. it's, but it's beautiful yeah. and because they know so well about how to put melody and tune and melody and words together they've thought glenn tilbrook's got oh, i can i know how to make this work yeah. And they do it almost every line is, you know, um da da the incubator and 30 minutes later. It's yeah. it's clunky all the way through, but beautiful. It works, yeah. Yeah. 
Nick Cave does a lot of that as well. He's one of my big heroes. Have you ever heard the song yeah. um, God is in the House? Yeah, I think I have. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with it, but yeah, there's some lines in that way. Yeah. And I always thought it was interesting because it's like it's you know, it's him making a choice to have a lyric. It's kind of it's kind of you know, I guess prioritizing the lyric over the melody in some way, like I'm going to yeah, break yeah. the way the melody's rolling, yeah, because it's I want to have this lyric here, yeah, yeah. But there's yeah. one in that of like, I can't remember the ceiling yeah. part is it, but then the thing about <laughs> goose stepping while stepping totalitarian, it's just, yeah, it's just yeah. like one of those things, like, oh wow, yeah, but, like, but I love it, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you say it's kind of it's those choices, isn't it? Of um, and you say people learn the the craft, learn the rules, and learn the craft, and then make those decisions of whether you know whether I guess like having a consistent pitch perfect melody with rhymes that are yeah consistent, or whether it's like actually I want to say this phrase, so it's going to make it sound yeah. a bit yeah. clunky or something, but that's what's important for yeah. the song. And, and sometimes it it different. The clunkiness works because it's in the middle of lots of smooth. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so if you there's lots of smooth stuff going on, but then you throw in. I was just I was just doing one this this weekend where I was working well. I was reading something. Oh yeah, my friend Sarah, Sarah Woods, is a writer, and she'd written this thing which was written in like a fairy tale, and it was it was kind of using that that imagery of you know fairy tales and and happy ever afters and and um, it had that kind of feel to it. But then, it, but then in the right in the middle of this this story, um, it's like the knight uh, gets out his laptop and starts doing something, and then it returns. And you think, oh, that's beautiful. Mm. Just throwing something in that doesn't fit, that shouldn't be there, mm. that, that sounds like whoa. Yeah. But that's again, it's and you have to really be careful when you do that kind of thing. You, you, and you learn when when you can get away with it. Yeah, yeah. It's what I'm thinking about. I like. I think punk's a great example of it, of that, you know, sometimes you get artists yeah. that, like, when they first start, are kind of out there and different, and it's because they've not learned the rules yet. Yeah, But it yeah, works, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. they've, had, they've stumbled yeah. across something which works really well, yeah. and others that it takes longer to learn yeah. and then break the rules. Next. So, yeah. like, Tom Waits is That's a kind true. of uh, an example of somebody who changed so much, who broke so many rules when they yeah. learned them all. Yeah, um, yeah. And often people that... When you hear people write at the beginning and they don't know the rules and they do and they come up with something incredible mm. and you think, wow, that's fantastic. It's usually kind of some beautiful, naive, yeah. simple, <laughs> lovely thing. But then they find it hard to sustain that. Yeah. So then the next few years after that, they're kind of floundering a bit and you, they're not really sure what to do with all that. And, 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 they, and then they learn. They yeah. learn what the what the techniques are and all that sort of thing. And sometimes people, I think people can end up overthinking it because like the, the first one just came out yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like, right, we need to replicate that. So what, what techniques we're going to yeah, do there yeah. rather than yeah. just being like, repeat that. Just, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I would say with punk, um, especially there's some, you know, some music where like being a better musician doesn't actually work better. Yeah. But yeah, like some, Obviously, a certain punk singers, well, at, at first, where it's just really raw and like, yeah, you're not sung very well, technically, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's got that energy and yeah, that absolutely. attitude. And then they learn to sing properly, and it's like, oh, I'm actually interested in it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. better, but the attitude's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah it is. It's the rawness and the simplicity of it that can make something well, it makes it feel real for one thing. Because mm. suddenly, in, in that era, in like 77 or whatever, 1977, there was this this idea that music shifted from being up on stage up there and it suddenly came right down into these little pubs that we that we went in and you mm. thought 
Ah, now, now we're allowed to have a go, even though I'm to clear what I'm doing. <laughs> I can have a go now, yeah. whereas I would never have been able to have a go when it was still all that. That was because that era before punk was all people in the bedrooms having thinking that you had to serve an apprenticeship for three or four years as a, a musician mm -hmm. to be able to stand up on stage in front of people. Um, and hopefully punk just kind of got rid of that. And now, well, the difference is now that is that young people can just do what they want on keyboards and, you know, in the bedrooms and, and come up with fantastic things. And the problem with that, obviously, is that is that before there was a sense of people, a physical thing of people coming together mm -hmm. and trying to create something together. Yeah. And I wouldn't like to see that completely disappear. Yeah. Because that's great. But if, yeah. if, but if people can, you know, come up with stuff on the laptops now, which sound fantastic, yeah. you know, rather than thinking that they've got to go through some huge record company and do auditions and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that in terms of the... <clears throat> Um, so yeah, I've always been very jealous of people who could do the te the technology. Is that you know, piece a whole track together? Yeah, yeah. Like it's something I'd love to be able to do, but I've, I've really struggled with the technology for some right. things. Yeah. Um, so I think it's an amazing skill to have to do, but also yeah, it's, and to be able to work out all those parts in your head. Yeah, yeah. And do them all. Yeah. Um, but then yeah, like as you, know, you mentioned, Trumbo used to do that as well. Like yeah, you know, one of the things that is great is when you have an initial idea and you throw it to to your band. Yeah. They, they're like, oh, well, this is what I might do for this, and so I'm, yeah. And that's, I guess, part of a great Absolutely. band, isn't it? Is that everyone has their own flair yeah. and their own take on, yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things you've to that I think, um, that I think is really important about songwriting or any doing anything creative is that is, is to be open to other people, is to be open to collaboration and be open to other people suggesting things because if, if you think that you've written something or you've got an idea and it's the best idea ever in the world and that nobody else has any right to say anything, um, then that's just ridiculous. <laughs> you've got to be aware. I, 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 what I, one of the things I've always really liked about creative stuff is whether it's, you know, a play or a, a novel or a, or a song or whatever, is, is writing something and spending all day on something, really working at something, and then the next day thinking... That's crap. <laughs> and throwing it away. Yeah. Nowadays, you just put it in the bin on the screen. But, <laughs> you know, I'm just getting rid and thinking, yeah, that's fine. It's good to get rid of stuff. Because people can just labour over something forever. Oh, I've got this song I've been work working on for two years and eventually I'll get mm -hmm. it right. And at some point you think, just get rid of it and start <laughs> a new one. <laughs> yeah. Because it, sometimes it's not worth it. And, it. and it's also good if people, obviously we had it with the band and then, everything else I've done since, I'm always really eager to hear what other people think. Mm. So if someone says, yeah, it's good that, um, not sure about that bit, why, why is that bit there? And you kind of think, oh yeah, yeah, maybe they're right. Mm. I'll try, I'll try changing that. Sometimes you fight it. Sometimes you go, I've done it before. I think, no, they're completely wrong. It's, it's fine how it is. And you know, they're just talking rubbish and it gnaws away at you. And you think, okay, I'll have a little go at what, what, they, what they were suggesting. And you do it and you think, oh, it's better. <laughs> they were right. <laughs> I'm going to have to go and admit that they were right. Yeah. But it's great. It's a really good feeling if you, if you can do that. Yeah. It's really good. And I guess like, you develop a bit of a, <clears throat> I think it's getting to some extent, isn't it? But it's kind of like, I guess it's a, 
is not not thinking of the ideas personally. Like yeah. when someone criticizes them, they're not criticizing you, they're criticizing an idea that you've had and the, yeah. the overall aim is to make that idea as, as good as possible. Yeah. So it's not about who's right or wrong, it's about making this work as well as Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And 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 because it is a it is about playing it for other people, it's about conversation, then really the only, the people that are gonna hear this thing. All they care about is the product. Yeah. They don't care yeah. of the process you've gone through yeah. and the agony and the arguments and the backstage fights or whatever it is. <laughs> they just want to hear with this thing and go, yeah, that's good, that. Yeah. I like that. And um, one of the problems with art and creativity is that in order to do it in the first place, you've got to have an ego that says, you know, I'm, I'm, I think enough of this thing, this song or whatever it is, I think enough of it to go in front of an audience and go, Look at this thing that I've done. And you've got to have an ego to do that. You've got mm. to, and it, you have to be really careful that that ego doesn't take over and doesn't kind of. And so I think a lot of fantastic uh, collaborations and, and partnerships in songwriting. So the obvious one is Lennon and McCartney. Um, they were incredible together, eight years, and they changed every year and became almost a different band every year. They still had this focus with each other, challenging each other, adding to each other's work. Incredible. And then the band split up. They had about th maybe three years where they, was, they still had that energy. Mm -hmm. and, then they and then they ran out of steam. They ran out of ideas. And it didn't matter what they did, they never went, they never wrote a song as good as songs they were written in, writing in the 1960s again. And you think, well, where did that creativity go? Yeah. That's impossible. But what it is, it's not the creativity; it's the it's the to and fro of mm. of the challenge and the and the you know doesn't matter what McCartney McCartney's you know he's an incredible songwriter, but he's never going to write those songs in the sixties again. Yeah, and I, I used to think, oh, it's because he's getting older, but now I think, no, it's because he lost that drive where he was being challenged, and he knew that Lennon would go, no, that one's a bit that one's a bit shit that one, and he'd think. He'd be upset, but he'd think, yeah, he's got a point. Yeah. Whereas now nobody dare tell Paul McCartney. Yeah. If he comes into an into a studio and goes, Oh, I'm ready for my new, I'm gonna make a new album, the studio engineers and the producers and the record company and the band, everybody, they're all going, Yes, Paul, yes, Paul, that's great, Paul. And that must be really sad. That's yeah. really weird. Because you want you want Lennon there going. Not keen on that one. <laughs> Have you got any more? <laughs> yeah, I've never thought of it like that, but yeah, you're right. right. It's interesting looking at it. And like, yeah, lots of bands, who, yeah, when someone gets <laughs> to that level, um, unless there's people who have like, you know, been involved with them for a long time and who know them and you yeah, know, are respected as peers. Yeah, yeah. Rather than um Yeah. Yeah. And e even then most most kind of solo performers have have people with them who stick with them yeah who who can be the people that say not sure about that one not yeah. sure about that one nick yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i guess whether with um whether with some of them like you know if it's a performer and a manager or something like that who've been together a long time yeah whether there's something about a collaborative duo like linda mccartney where they're both co-contributors yeah. Yeah, like obviously the I imagine yeah. the relationship can be very similar. Yeah. People all find the you know mutual interest in the career, yeah. but whether there's something about that working together and being able to be like, this is what this is what I think this idea should go. Yeah. The, you know, the actual collaborating on the yeah, work yeah. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or just yeah, just 
keeping you on your toes, mm. stopping you getting complacent and lazy. Because you, once you do understand what the craft is and how how to put something together, you you could just end up just doing the same thing over and over yeah, again, yeah. which a lot of artists do. Yeah. And again, that's to me that's another kind of kind of slow death. Mm. Once you start realizing that every album is the same, and you think, all oh, right, they've got there's no one pushing them. There's yeah. no one going. Let's try something different this time. Yeah. Let's get rid of that instrumentation and try a completely different thing. Let's challenge you. Yeah. I think everyone would really benefit from that, but it's not easy, especially yeah. if you're selling records. Yeah. If you know, and you've got a record company and they just say, just keep making that one. Yeah. They, they keep selling, just keep doing it. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Like I wonder like this, you know, because there's a lot of artists where like I want every album to be something new and exciting and yeah. fresh. And there's others where like I do kind of like the familiarity of like. Like yeah. I'm a big ACDC fan. Oh so yeah, obviously ACDC have written the same <laughs> album forever, but yeah. it's great. Yeah, that's <laughs> and like, funny. So then I wonder yeah. whether, like, you know, if ACDC came out with a a load of jazzy ballads, I'd be like, what, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> where's, you would, where's, where's my anthem? Yeah. It would be awful. Um, that's but, true. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but whether like you know certain bands, you know, like I guess what they <clears> what they're doing it for, whether whether for them it is just that release of energy and that, yeah, and yeah, that you yeah. know. I imagine fans like the live element is a big part of it as well. You know, they're not yeah. writing songs to try. Yeah, and, yeah. They're not trying to, you know, exp express complicated emotions. Most yeah, of the yeah. Time. They're, yeah, like, yeah. they're writing a yeah. rock song that they can give some energy yeah, to yeah. the crowd can jump up and down. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that idea of ACDC expressing complex emotions. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, yeah, you're right. Because I've been to see bands where. You just want you just want the old stuff. I mean, I've I've never seen Rolling Stones, but I imagine if you yeah. went to a Rolling Stones concert and Jagger goes, "Here's two or three new ones off the album." Everyone's like, "Oh, I'm just going to go to the toilet. I'll be, I'll be back in a few minutes." Tell of... me when they do satisfaction. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I was big into the blues. So again, like, well, yeah, that's what I was looking to see BB King before he died. All right, you yeah. Know, like when you go and yeah. see someone like that, you want to see him play. Play the yeah. blues. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> certain, yeah. certain John, certain John was lend themselves more to. Yeah. Um, new material and others, yeah. don't they? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. What was I going to say then? But it's also <laughs> that thing, isn't it? Like people talk about wanting something new, but they don't want it to be completely new. It has to be just enough yeah. amount of originality, so it's familiar yeah. enough that you kind of like, okay, I get this. Definitely, but, yeah, yeah. So that's, I guess, how a lot yeah. of artists work, isn't it? It's like it's gradually changing, so you can see, yeah. you can see that you can track the changes over album by album, rather yeah. than it being completely different. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I like with one of the things I like with with the band was always that that, that that was always there. So that if we if we went from making like a pop song to doing a folk song to doing some like dance beat thing, it would probably always have some harmonies on it, mm. and and they're quite recognisable. So if we, oh yeah, yeah, I can see that's Chumbers and they're trying to do this. So they, so there would there would be some kind of thread, or the, or the lead vocals. You know, Alice Dunson and Dan, but had a way of just doing the vocals that yeah. people would recognise, no matter what. Genre was, yeah. Whereas when I when I've been working with theatre, I love the fact that it's all going to be sung and characterised by by people playing characters. Mm. So you don't have to have any connection to what you've done before. It's completely new. Yeah. And it's really it's really uh, what's the word? It's really liberating. Yeah, it must be able to be quite a transition. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, great. You just think, yeah. what's the world of this now? It doesn't have to. No, nobody has to recognise it as being yeah. me that wrote it at all. Whereas with a band, you do have to because you've got an audience and you want 
people to keep coming to gigs, don't you? So uh, are you like are you aware when you're doing that? Like, are there certain things that like I almost you know, like signatures of yours in your style of writing that then you have to be aware of and try to not do for this? Is there anything where you're like, oh, that sound that sounds too much like something I would write? Yeah, in a previous. Song? Sometimes I do, but the one thing that I hang on to, whether I'm writing, you know, um, whatever. Bertolt Brecht stuff or, or opera or pop music or folk music, I always hang on to the fact that I love melodies. Mm. I think something, I think if you, I think if you go and see a, a play or a, any, anything, I love the idea that you walk out of the, the theatre or the gig and you, you think, oh, I liked that one that went, <laughs> rather than walking out. I like, this is my criticism of things like, like Lloyd Webber is that you can go and watch something for an hour and a half and you come out, within five minutes, you can't sing any of the songs. Yeah. Even if you think it was brilliant and it's, it looked amazing, it sounded amazing, and it, it, it you know, the emotion and the, the passion and everything, but I can't remember any of the tunes. Yeah. And that always disappoints me, and that's just because of, that's just me. I was brought up loving tunes. Yeah. So even now, if I, if I write for anything, I, I always think, Ooh, I can, that makes a nice little repeated melody that that people will latch onto. Because yeah. I, I think melodies just you just don't run out of them. You just keep coming up with new ones, and it's lovely. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And that's yeah, I hadn't thought of that again before. But like that does make sense of how nice it is when you come out with something and you've got that little tune yeah. in your head. Yeah, and yeah, some of those bigger ones you don't, don't quite get that. Because there is a thing actually. One in, one of the things that if I'm talking about songwriting to people, if I'm doing like kind of workshop or something. One of the things that people get trapped by is if you're playing guitar or piano or whatever you play, is that you can get trapped by the chords that you mm. play. So you've, you're going play, you're just playing G, C, D, and you're playing them over and over. It's really tempting to just, to make your melodies, you're singing this song and then it changes chord and then it changes chord yeah. again. <laughs> and you've got to get away from that. Don't follow the chords. The, one of the best things, that, I, that happened to me was that I, um, I, I, I cut through my arm with a, an axe trying to chop wood and I couldn't play guitar. I was in hospital and everything. I couldn't play guitar for about nine months or any, couldn't play an instrument because it was, I was just like this. And um, so I just started writing everything a cappella in my head. Mm. And if you're just writing a melody without instantly picking up yeah, a guitar, yeah. how does that fit? If you've just got, it's just the tune, then you've got to be more rigorous. You've got to think that tune's got to work. You can't mm. go, and I'm singing a song. <laughs> no, think of a melody that's going to that's gonna stick. And so you sing a melody. And I go running most days. And that, that's often when I just kind of have a bit of an idea for a melody. And then I use the old kind of Paul McCartney thing, which is that, which is don't, don't go home and write it write it down or record it just leave it and then the next day if you if you've forgotten it it wasn't very good yeah. and i love that advice yeah. so I, I that's what i do i always think leave it and then the next day i think well yeah that melody's still there it must be it must be okay it must be it's not leaving yet it's yeah so then i knew i could write to it mm. and it was really good for me not to just pick up a guitar every time i had an idea for a song yeah, that is really interesting. So then with that, would you, <clears throat> well, from first thing, the, uh, do you do melodies without any lyrics? Yeah, do you just come up with, with tunes or do you generally have an idea of 
Yeah, I usually have an idea of what it is I'm the lyrical, yeah. trying to say. Yeah. If I think, so like, because with the choir, working with Commoners Choir, and, and we, we had this idea recently, we were going to write this song about, um, we wanted to write a song that was about hope and a song that was about anger, mm. kind of have them separately. And we all discussed what they were going to be and what, what kind of story could they could be and everything. So I've, I know all the parameters of it. So then if I'm, if I'm writing or I'm running or something, I've got an idea if yeah. I think I've got something to work on and, and I know what, what kind of thing it could be. So, so for instance, I, I just finished one this week because we would wanted to write about hope and we were all discussing it. What is a, what's a story that's, that's like hopeful? There's so many depressing stories in the news. What's a story that's recent, that's hopeful, that we can sing about? And somebody, else, somebody in the choir said, uh, there was that situation in Glasgow a year, was it last year? Or the year before, I think it was last year, where um, these two Indian guys who lived in a, in a part of Glasgow, uh, the immigration police came with a van and tried to, and got them out of the beds, at like five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning, and kind of dragged them out and they were taking them off to a detention centre to be, possibly to be um, um, deported. And within, literally within a minute or two, whilst this commotion was going on, a couple of neighbours came out and said, what are you doing? And then a couple more came out and said, you know, you can't do that. Who are you? You know, all of the immigration police. And, you know, well, what laws, what rules have you got to, to be able to do this? And then the police turn up and try to say, well, we're keeping the peace. And then more neighbours come in. And in the end, of the, literally within 40 minutes, an hour, there were like three or 400 people. And one guy kind of got under the van. This, this, the two detainees are in the back of the van. But everybody's surrounding the van and everybody starts sitting down and, and singing. And, and in the end, and the police come, form a big cordon, and more and more people come. It gets this huge, it's this fantastic story. And in the end, the police are like, <laughs> you know, we're gonna, we, we, we can't handle this. There's gonna be there's gonna be some kind of riot or something. So they let them go. And the, the, the immigration force kind of say, well, you know, it's not over yet, and you know, we'll be back sometime and all that. But they had to let them go and everybody cheers and it's this fantastic victory and it's beautiful. And what the, what the people in the street were singing all the way through is, um, um, uh, they, they, they're our neighbours, let them go. They're our neighbours, let them go. So we're like, okay, this is this little thing. And somebody in the choir said, we've got to use that phrase, you know, they're our neighbours, let them go. And so immediately I'm just thinking, great, it's just, it's just a line. It's a chorus, it's, it's a melody. You know, these are our neighbours, let them go, yeah, let them go. You suddenly hear a choir singing it yeah. and it's there, it's almost on a plate. So you've got the idea. And so it's not like sitting there with a piece of paper that's blank and going, what can I write about that's yeah, hopeful? Yeah. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if there's some hope? You already have all the story. Yeah. You've got, you can picture all the verses, you can see where the chorus is going to be, where it's going to build. So it just makes it so much easier. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that sounds great. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you is when you, how much of your melody do you do before you then start going back to an instrument? Uh, do you, would you just write your chorus, your melody line, or would you write the whole song just melodically and then start pitching your No, I just have a, I just have a snatch of an idea and okay. think, okay, that, that works. And you go that there, could yeah. be a, a hook or a chorus or yeah. something like that. Yeah. 
and folk music's really easy for that because if you are if I'm doing something that's that's meant to be kind of folky then it follows very strict patterns yeah, yeah. so there's only a certain amount of leeway you've got so it's it's dead easy yeah yeah and the challenge with that is that the tradition is so strong that you is like how do we break the tradition whilst being faithful to it yeah yeah similar to blues and it's like that so it's kind of like yeah absolutely right blues songs that are yeah true to tradition but don't yeah, sound the same totally. as everyone else's yeah. So, yeah on the way out today i was listening to uh randy newman i don't know if you know randy newman and he does lots of blues stuff and he, he does it in such a way that you you know exactly where it's going yeah. but then he puts something in he'll just put a kind of a melody or a chord that doesn't quite fit mm. goes somewhere slightly somewhere else because he's also jazz and all and he does classical stuff and you think oh that's that's the <laughs> bit that's the bit that makes it yeah but you like the familiarity of the whole yeah. thing but you want him to go to that little space that's Give you something that's a new different. yeah 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 brilliant that's something really interesting um <clears throat> let's move into section two of the podcast now so shall we? this is where i ask my guests for a songwriting tip um, and often, like we always end up talking about loads of tips in the first section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah. Um, have you got a, a particular tip you'd like to share with Alison as well? I think me. I think my main tip is 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 to collaborate mm. with people. Is to allow allow other people into your process. I just think that's really important. Obviously, I would say that being in a band where we kind of shared the songwriting for years and years and years, but he, having come out of that, I kind of learned that. No matter how perfect something is, how good it is, this is exactly right. There's often somebody else who can just put something in where you just think, oh, mm. I hadn't thought of that. Whether it's a changed lyric or even just a bit of an instrument playing something else and you just think, oh, that's really good. And, you know, so it always it kind of, I always find it weird where bands are, there's a songwriter in a band and nobody else in the band gets any credit. Mm. And I always think, surely that person didn't come up with that drum pattern as well. <laughs> so like all the Beatles stuff, you know, some of the drum patterns are brilliant and Ringo yeah. doesn't get credited for them. Yeah. Um, and, and I can think in Chummers, we were fortunate that we all kind of accepted that even if some people didn't write songs and never wrote songs, that what they contributed to the band in every other way, whether it was kind of spiritually or physically yeah. or in, in terms of, you know, doing jobs within the band, was just as important as the songwriting. So let's yeah. just all say it's all, and everyone's allowed to put ideas in. Yeah, and like I just thought of it like, you know, that the songs wouldn't be the same if, if those people weren't involved, even if it, even if they've not been directly involved in like, yeah. here's a lyric for this or here's this part. Yeah. But the, even it's just, you know, the knowledge that this song is going to be performed by this group of people, yeah. that's an influence they've had on, yeah. on writing it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 If it's coming from a place of, of collaboration and of sharing and of cooperation, then, then it will sound like that. It will come across like that, and I, I think that's really good. I did, I did watch, I did listen to. Uh, um, there's a there's a jam album called All Mod Cons, their third album, which I really love. It's got some great songwriting in it, like um, Down in the Tube Station at Midnight and things like that. Really good songs, and um, and then when Paula Weller left. He carried on doing his solo stuff and everything. I always wondered how much input the the, the rest of the jam had in that because the great bass lines and mm -hmm. drum patterns are really good and really nice harmonies. And then I got a, a kind of special collector's edition of, of the album that had some of the demos that Paul Weller 
played. And apparently Paul Weller would go in the studio and play drums and bass and put the harmonies on and do the whole thing and then take it to the band. And I, I'm really interested to it. And I listened to them and they're really, really similar. Oh, so he did the bass <laughs> lines <laughs> and he did the drumming. Wow. And it, I kind of thought, I was a bit disappointed. Yeah. I thought, oh. <laughs> so they were kind of like session musicians. Yeah. But, and so you could see why he got fed up and thought, right, I want to leave and do something else. Yeah. Whereas in the bands and the projects I've been in, I couldn't just walk away and say, I'll take the whole thing because it's all me. Because it, it, yeah. it's never been like that, even with theatre. And so lately, uh, so yeah, so like going back to quick, because the second piece of music I was thinking was was completely opposite for, from uh, uh, earlier Ugly Houses, which is that I've been working with Welsh National Opera. Mm. And it's, you know, you're working with string quartets and with six operatic voices, but but the the most important thing is that we're working with a refugee centre in Cardiff. And so, and it's me and a writer, Sarah Woods, and we get the stories from the, from the um, uh, refugees, asylum seekers. We talk to them, we involve them, we collaborate with them about, some of them are, uh, play instruments. So like, great, let's see what you play. And some of these people are incredible musicians, you know, in, from say Iran or from, Central America, we're working with different people from, and they've come here and they're not recognized as musicians, they're recognized just as refugees, mm. which is awful because they also they can be doctors and teachers yeah. and they've got incredible, you know, qualifications. And they come here and they're just seen as refugees and they can't get jobs. And if they're still seeking asylum, they're not even allowed to get paid for anything. So we work with them and get them to play their instruments instruments that before I've worked with them in the last two or three years, I'd never heard of. Here's a three string instrument, and this is a, I don't know, it's been a tambour or a sitar or, and it's only got, the tuning is, there's only two different notes on this thing. And then they play this thing on it. It's like incredible. And you can't orchestrate it. You can't write it musically because mm. it's, it's lots of strings being played at once. You just think that's beautiful. Let's take that and put it in with, the opera they put it in with cellos and violins and and um and all the time you're going through it you're thinking this is truly collaborative they are having as much input into it as they can give and that's fantastic mm. some of the opera players on in in the kind of opposite way don't collaborate at all they're professional musicians and, and some of them are brilliant and they do, they want to know what the project is and where the music comes from, why is it saying this and what, what's the words about it. Some of them don't care about that at all. They're just professional musicians. They want the score and yeah. the score has got to be absolutely perfect. And if there's something on the score, like um, one bit where it, it, it gets a little bit louder or, or whatever, and it's not written in there properly, they'll play it the wrong way and you stop and say, oh, no, that's meant to build up on that note. And they'll go, no, it's not written there. So you get the score and you write it in and you go there and then they play it perfectly. And so that's not collaboration to yeah. me. That's, that's, it's beautiful, but it's not collaboration. Whereas with the asylum seekers and some of the opera people, they're fascinated and they want to know and they want to know what their role is in this and what, what it's all going to sound like. Mm. And that to me is, is so much more fulfilling than sitting on my own writing a song yeah. and thinking, oh, I've written a good song there. Because we, and it's the same with actors. This is another thing as well. With actors, 
I can write, you know, writing a script, because I write musicals and plays and stuff. Um, I write something, and I'll often like read it through lots and lots of times, see what it's sounding like. And I've got it all in my head, and I can hear all the characters in my head, just how I, just how I want it. And then you give it to the, and you go in on the first couple of days, and they do a read through, or they do a kind of little walk through, and they, they're reading from the script. And these, you know, actors are, they're incredible, and they, they just start reading this thing, and they'll say a line in a way that I immediately think, oh, <laughs> that's, that's better than it yeah. was in my head. Yeah. And I love that. I just, what a lovely feeling that is to think, yeah, it's not just me going, I want it exactly like this. It's you doing something to it yeah. that, that makes it better. Yeah. And what a privilege it is for me to be able to work with actors who can bring something to life that you, 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 hadn't, you hadn't thought of. Mm. You know, they can do things, even a lot, there can be a line in a script or in a song and they, um, they deliver that line with a look to the audience or to the other characters that just that completely changes the line. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Yeah. It's really, you just think, no, that's why I like doing theatre because it's not just me in my room. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I've done thought of that, that link before, but I've heard, you know, I've heard stories about, you know, great scenes that were improvised in films. And yeah, like. yeah. But yeah, you're right. And the symmetry there with musicians that there must be, and there must be actors and writers and directors who don't want any of that. And yeah. like, oh, which, absolutely. Exactly, by the book, I'm going to say exactly yeah. what you said. Yeah. And others who are much more like to play with it. This is the idea. Yeah. yeah. And same with, this is effectively jamming, isn't it, Leah? Like, if you've yeah. got, this is the scene. Yeah. This is the song, but let's play around within it and see. Absolutely. Sometimes, yeah, great, a great variation on the riff, Mac, Matt, or solo, or yeah. again, the phrasing, something different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's fascinating. I, I love yeah. this how, like, you know, when, you, when you hear about different art forms and you see, like, there's just so many. Patterns like that are the same. With, yeah. Um, just, completely, yeah. Yeah, using the different tools. And again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, the, you know, the craft the craft and inspiration and the way yeah. these interact is very similar ways. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to ask you is the opera project sounds fascinating. Did you know much about opera going into this? Like, have you no. or have you been kind of yeah, learning? I got thrown in the deep end. Mm. Yeah, and what's that been like? I knew then? little bits of, of it, but not not really. Yeah. And uh, and Sarah was the writer because I'd worked with her on something else. She obviously could obviously thought I bet he'd be good at doing opera. And she rang me up and said, I've had this idea. What do you think? She said, I'm I'm I've got this uh collaboration with Welsh National Opera at the moment and they wanted me to do something about such a thing. What do you think about coming in as the composer and writing? And I went, Yeah, brilliant. That sounds fantastic. And then I put the phone down and um and then I thought. I have no idea how to write, <laughs> how to write a score, how to write for opera. I don't, I don't know what it sounds like. I don't know, you know, I've I've seen it, but how do you write for that? Yeah. But it, but I just thought, no, it sounds too interesting to have a go. And the first time I walked in, once we got to the point where I'd written a rough score for something and and got the lyrics, I kind of realised that it sounds like me writing for opera it doesn't sound like opera it sounds like me writing for opera to me anyway because it's still melodic mm. i'm still really keen on people being able to hear what's being sung rather than that full-blown yeah. i worked with, with jenny from the from welsh national opera and she's she was brilliant and she, she basically said there's several ways that i can sing i can and do you want me to tone it down and then she recorded herself singing the same line three or four times with different levels of mm. toning down 
And even at the, the lowest level of toning down, which I liked, it still wasn't like pop singing or yeah. you know theatre singing or musicals. It was still incredibly operatic, but you could hear the, the diction and the enunciation, so you could follow the story. So I was like, yeah, that one, yeah. that one. And she was really happy to do that. She's like, that's great because normally we we're up here doing this one because that's what the opera audience likes. So it's really nice to. So it's it's all been yeah. And I walked into a room at, at Welsh National Opera with this huge rehearsal room with these string players and everything, and um, total, um, what's the word, um, imposter syndrome, which I've always had from being being a kid. And punk taught me, ignore your imposter syndrome, ignore it, ignore it, walk into it, just go for it, it doesn't matter. And it's really difficult sometimes. But I walked into that room and thought, oh my God, they're all looking at me. <laughs> and they'd be playing something and or singing something, and they'd kind of look at me and go, um, yeah, what do you think of that, Bob? And I know all the time I'm thinking, they think I'm better than I am. They think I'm better than I am. <laughs> and you have to fight it, you yeah. know, and think, actually, no, they're kind of appreciating that I'm, I've done things in a different way and it's yeah. not what they're used to. And because we had them, Sarah had them like singing in different languages, which they'd never done before. And we had them making bird noises. So this is this section where, and then we, we, we got these beautiful um, things that, because it was, Anyway, I think we we sent away to France this this beautiful place where this guy and his daughter make uh, small wooden instruments that you play them in all different ways and they make specific birds. It's it's this beautiful thing and you get these little wooden things and it's like this one's a, this one's a chaffinch and this is how you there's instructions on how to play it and it's like with your, <laughs> your and it makes it's brilliant. So we handed them out to the musicians and the sing sorry to the singers these opera singers this thing about their voices <laughs> like right we want you to do this thing to be a chaffinch for this section and <laughs> it's brilliant and i love it i just think great and they and some of them were a bit like mm, okay but some of them were like oh, i love this this is great we yeah. don't get asked to do this you know <laughs> something different i wish we could always make bird noises yeah. in our operas you know and it's good i mean i think it's, it's a great so well done to you for doing it and be able to be willing to put yourself in that situation i think especially with like it's kind of like the most opposite ends of the spectrum as well. Someone like from a punk background to yeah. opera, which you know, like yeah. is regarded as like one of the most highbrow ones, and punk being like the complete yeah. opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, so we work to do it, and like I think it's just yeah. great for um, a great example of that. You know, always being willing to learn and putting yourself in new situations, and not relying yeah. on, as you say, you know, like when you get when you know these fans, you could just keep writing yeah. albums yeah. that will you know, be successful Absolutely. and like go through it. But it's kind of pushing yourself yeah. to. Um, yeah. explore something interesting yeah, and yeah. you know like i guess taking that when you got when you heard about it they're like well that sounds, sounds interesting not quite sure how it's going to work but yeah. i'll give it a go Absolutely. and figure it out and that's what that's yeah the, and the good thing is, is that it's always worked whenever we, we did it we did it with chumbers where we'd made two albums in in about 1980 i think it would be 86 and 87 we made two albums quite punky a bit melodic and stuff but basically really really noisy and um and then, and then we said, okay, we've, we've, you know, we've done these two albums. We don't just want to make another one. It's, it's the same. What should we do? And we were talking about it. Lots of meetings. Came up with the idea. Why don't we just record uh, uh, a cappella folk songs from English history? Because there's lots of Irish songs and Scottish songs, you know, rebel songs and songs from like Central America and Eastern Europe. Let's find the English ones that are about, are about 
people in the factories and people in the fields that were fighting for better wages. And so we went and did this whole project where we found these old songs. And this is before the internet, obviously, going to record libraries and finding songs and working out how to sing them and just, just singing them a cappella. And of course our audience went, what's that? <laughs> I've just got these two albums that I'm really enjoying because yeah. you can jump up and down to them and go crazy. And then, and then you're giving me this song about a, a worker's strike in 1916 and it's, it's just four voices on it. <laughs> and we love that, just that yeah. challenge. And, and it was weird because at the time we were like, is this basically commercial suicide? Are we just about <laughs> to just completely die as a band? But fortunately, people got it and caught on to it and thought, ah, that's what this band are. They're about the ideas. So yeah. let's go with it and let's see what let's see what happens. And you get you get a different attachment, an audience an audience attaches to a band in a different way than where it's not purely yeah. about a style of music, it's about a, an ethos and an attitude and the characters involved yeah. and the stuff that they're exploring. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And people might yeah. you know gravitate more, they might like one album more than another, but they're generally interested in. Yeah whatever's going to come out. Um, yeah, 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 completely. Because, uh, and the thing, well, we've talked a lot about the Beatles, but to me, <laughs> it's not because, it's not particularly just because I'm a Beatles fan, but it's more that I think that the example that they set as artists and mm. songwriters in challenging themselves. So the, there is something like three years between She Loves You and Sergeant Pepper and Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, three years. And you think that's incredible. Yeah. They've gone from that, ning, 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 <laughs> To doing this incredible psychedelic music that and then and then they went from there to you know and they and i just think that's the way to do it just don't care if your audience are going to go no no we want we loved you when you were lovable mop tops doing she loves you we don't want this weird stuff about drugs you know we're not going to buy your records anymore and they didn't care they were just like this is what we're doing now and it's and it worked and people yeah. did carry on buying their stuff because they thought well we, we we like the fact that they are represent they cha they, they're changing with the world mm. and i've always loved doing that as well changing you know like how technology has changed in my lifetime in music so now i use technology all the time and uh a lot of people are kind of purists mm. no no keep it keep it analog you know keep it like wooden wooden string <laughs> and i think no just try and get involved in all of it try yeah. it out Harry, who was Chumba's drummer, I remember in the really early 90s, just get, he had an Apple Mac computer and just bought this software to make, basically to make uh, drum beats. And it was, all to, it was all about connectivity and MIDI and all that sort of thing. And he had a big chart that he'd made on the wall with all these handwritten things, which was how to, learning how to do it from scratch. Because it was really complicated then. It's a lot easier now. But, yeah. And... Um, and he just learnt it all from scratch within the making of one album. He was like, I need to learn how to do that, how to program beats and drums and loops and all that sort of thing. And it, I just thought, that's fantastic. Because he could have been, you know, drummers, yeah, yeah. they love their art, their yeah. thing. That's what they do and they're really good at it. And he was a really good drummer. And he was like, right, I'm going to put that down for a bit. I'm going to learn how to do this. And I, I really admire that. I think, yeah, that's, that's the way to And then it always breaks your patterns that you fall into yeah like you say you say, you say, you say about yeah. the guitar and um yeah you can then follow the same pattern sorry, let's change someone coming to the door right <laughs> someone with a yellow um, jacket someone with a yellow jacket whereas the um when you do something completely different you have to learn a different set of skills do you want um, to go and see yeah you just pause for a second yeah i'll just <laughs>
I'll just carry on talking to the camera. Hello? Oh, he's gone to see. It's the police. It's the police and they're arresting him. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. He says back. He says he's going to be back in a minute, but I think he's going to be back in about six months. Well, they're dragging him down the driveway now. Oh, there's a policeman out there. It's all kicking off. No, I'm lying. It's good luck. Come to read the gas meter. I'll shut up now. Cool. Right. Well, uh, and that's probably a good time to just move into section section three of the podcast. Um, so this is why I ask my guests to share with us a song that's meaningful to them in some way related to bereavement. Uh, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to edit the song into the podcast. So um, do you want to tell us what, what song it is you've, you've chosen for us here? Yeah, it's um, um, it's a song for um, um, Heathcote Williams, who was a great kind of poet and writer from right at the end of the 60s, right through the kind of 1970s and 80s. And um, I first discovered him when he, he wrote a, a kind of book length a poem. Well, he wrote a poem called Whale Nation. He wrote one called Autogeddon about about the about cars taking over the world. And and I, I remember hearing a tape of it that our friend Dev had made for us. And I just thought it was just the most beautiful kind of poetic, beautifully written, uh, angry thing about cars just wrecking, you know, and oil and petrol and the whole thing. And um, really political guy. And eventually. I got to I got to know him, but only just by sending things to him. Because I what it was is that I I made a one last time the Queen had some kind of jubilee thing, which would be I don't know early two thousands. I can't remember. She had something or other, and I, I made a poster that was based on William Morris's design and and his his kind of indictment of of royalty, talking about the how vulgar it is and everything. I made this poster and I was kind of selling them just for a cost price to people. And Heathcote got in touch and said, oh, I love those posters, can I buy some? And he bought some and then he bought some more. And then, so we got this lovely kind of uh, dialogue going where I'd send him whatever we were doing in the band or, you know, writing or theatre things. And he would always send me his new poems and we had this lovely kind of thing going on, which was really nice. And then, um, and then quite suddenly he died basically. And um, so his sisters, I think it was, got in touch because they knew that we'd been, you know, exchanging correspondence a lot. And uh, they said, would I come down to his funeral and play something? Just, and uh, I was really kind of touched by this and thought that's really nice, but we couldn't because I, I can't remember who it was with. It was either with the theatre or with the choir. We had a gig on the same day and I couldn't go and I was really disappointed. So I wrote and said, well, I can't, I can't come on that day, but can I send something? And they said, yeah, yeah. And um, so I sent uh, a song that I wanted, that got played at the funeral. And as it happens, it got played at the funeral and Sarah Woods, the writer heard it. And she, that was the way she just heard this song, didn't know who it was by and thought, I need to get in touch with that person and do some work with them. So it was it was really, yeah. uh, what's the word, serendipitous. Yeah, yeah. It, it was really good. But what it was is that I wanted to write a song about him because the thing I always liked about him was that um, he had a kind of troubled life and a troubled family life, but um, he was forever kind of being this kind of maverick, 
kicking against the pricks, not doing what he was told. Even when he got older and older, he was mm. still, you know, he was one of the first people to, to write a proper kind of poem about Boris Johnson, long before he was in the Foreign Office, detailing how Johnson had managed to get into some position of power in, the, in you know, and kind of warning everyone, you've got to be careful of this, this man. He's, he's an idiot and he's a buffoon, but he's really he's going to be really powerful and he's going to do terrible things. This is long before you know he was powerful, and so he was writing these great angry things. So I wanted to I didn't want to write a kind of nice gentle. You know, weren't you nice, Heathcote? Mm. It was nice to know you, kind of thing. And a lot of eulogies and things are like that. They're uh, it, and that's beautiful that they're, they're kind of saying we're sad about about somebody passing and we want to remember them and and feel this kind of you know emotional kind of pull of so I thought I want to write something that's kind of got that feel to it in terms of it being nice and melodic but but I want the lyrics to be to kind of saying you never wanted that nice peaceful quiet gentle kind of life what you wanted was stick in the mud kind of life and the 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 you know being out of the ordinary kind of life and the uh getting in in people's way kind of life all the things that mm. you were the person that and i wanted to celebrate that yeah and so i wrote i wrote it as that uh, and I, I wrote it because i just thought um i can imagine if it was hethcote that he would he would look at it and go yeah that's good yeah that's me i'm the <laughs> i'm the kind of you know, I'm the That's one the that said, yeah. I'm the one that, you know, the flying the ointment. Yeah. I'm happy to have that. Rather than something kind of, oh, he was such a nice man, yeah, kind of yeah. thing. And, I, and I've always... It, it's funny because, as obviously, as I've got older, I've, been, I've become more aware of people dying and, you know, friends and everything. And there's always that kind of... Um, absolute sadness and grief mixed with wanting to celebrate the the life and the joyousness or the the you know the the big life that people had you don't want it to be reduced to this tiny thing in a in a in a ceremony mm. i went to uh roy bailey's funeral. roy bailey's a great it was a great folk singer <clears throat> and i went to his funeral and it was the 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 one of the best parts about these things is people are saying nice things about someone and they, they play some music and all that sort of thing. But at some point in Roy Bailey's funeral, um, everybody sang. And that was the point where it became real. Mm. People want to sing his songs. Come on, yeah. <laughs> sing his songs, you know. Let's not all go, yeah. He's, he was such a lovely singer and let's kind of leave it at that. It's like, no, he, he sang songs because he wanted people to sing along. Yeah. So let's come on. Let's do that. Yeah. That's. Hi everyone. Sorry, it's back to me. Um, you may have noticed towards the end of the podcast there we started having some technical problems, um, and the last ten minutes of our conversation um, between me and Boff kind of wasn't recorded properly. It was getting very glitching. You couldn't make out what we were saying. Um, so I'm really sorry about that. And sorry to Boff that we're not getting to share that part of the conversation because it was really interesting. Um, the technical problem on my part. This is the first time I've done one from from the home studio. I need to um, check my kit out properly, make sure it's, that doesn't happen again, because that is uh, it's a real shame. Uh, I'll try and summarise some of the stuff we talked about, because it was some really interesting stuff. 
um, as we were talking about Boff's song, Never Yours, I'm going to play um, to close this podcast out in a moment that he wrote for his friend um, Heathcote Williams' funeral. Uh, we talked about what it was like from writing that song on an emotional level um, and the kind of responsibility that he felt with trying to get that song right, um, which is a really interesting subject I find. So like, just for someone like him who's written so many songs to then be writing a song for someone's funeral and um, who was touching on it a bit beforehand before the recording cut out there about how he didn't want it to just be like, you know, that kind of stereotypical funeral song of like, oh, this person was great. They had no flaws or anything like that. He wanted it to be a accurate description of who, who he was. Um, and then how important it is to get that balance right if you're going to do something nuanced because, um, you know, you see you want the person's family members and friends to recognise them the minute accurately. Um, so there's some interesting stuff there. We also talked about some Chumbawamba songs that um, are particularly meaningful to people and how meanings of songs can evolve over time. So he was telling us a story about um, a friend of his that was in a, an accident um, and someone was trying to carry them back to safe, safety after this accident and they were singing a, a Chumbawamba song. Uh, and the person died in the end, um, very sadly, and he knew he knew about this. He'd heard about this story of them singing one of that one of his songs, and then how performing that song live now is very um, very challenging at times because it's you know it's now it's tied up in in those memories, and we're sharing stories of how um, how many songs can do that. You know, a song can be written about one thing, and they take on a completely different meaning to certain people or to even to the writers when the song attaches itself to different memories. Um, and he was talking about Tub Thumping, you know, which is, I mean, I was John Wilmer's biggest hit, the, yeah, I get knocked down, but I get up again, that um, holds those kind of memories for a lot of people, as it's just, you know, an anthem for getting through hard times. Um, so yeah, we talked a bit about that as well. Uh, so yeah, again, I'm really sorry that we didn't, we didn't get to hear the end of our conversation, because it was really interesting. Um, maybe we'll do it again sometime and I'll do my best to avoid that happening on future episodes. Um, yeah, sorry about that. But I uh, hope you enjoyed what you did get out of the podcast. That was most of it. I said it was only, only 10 minutes or so left there at the end. And uh, I'm going to play you the song we were talking about at the end there. Uh, to finish out on, this is uh, Never Yours by Buff Wally, written uh, for his friend Heathcott Williams, the poet's funeral. Uh, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in.
MS lives, accept and acquiesce lives, retirement and regret lives, never yours. There are calmly tiptoe out lives, there and thereabout lives, a whisper, not a shout lives, never yours. There are tactful toe the line lives. Discreet lives, beat a slow retreat lives, clean behind the ears lives, counting down the years lives, quiet lives that hush behind closed doors, never yours. For what's right lives Bottom up and fight lives Staying up all night lives That was yours There are sing another tune lives Shooting for the moon lives Left us far too soon lives That was yours